Thanks very much. Um, the first reading is uh, John chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. Um, before I start, I should mention it's on page 913 of the Church Bibles. Um, before I start, I'm just going to say a pre- quick prayer, so please join me and close your eyes. Lord, we pray that you'll make your word our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your glory our supreme concern, for the sake of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now reading from verse 1 of John 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Our second reading is from the book of Romans, uh, chapter 12, verses 9 to 21, which is found on page 976 of the Bible. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. 
Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Matthew. Please keep your Bibles open at Romans 12, and I will pray for us. Father, your word is a double-edged sword that pierces right to our very souls, and I pray that by your spirit you would do that mighty work in this place tonight. Father, we want to be your children who hear your voice, so speak, Lord, because your children are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've seen the, the film Ice Age, it's a classic film. You've got uh, Manfred the Hairy Mammoth, you've got the, the sloth called Sid, and you've got this saber-toothed tiger called Diego. And, and the story is about these three unlikely friends who are on this mission together to get this young boy back to his father. It's a great moment in the film where uh, they're on this live volcano, and then Diego gets separated from the, from the other two friends. This great chasm between them. He leaps to try and cross the chasm back to his friends, but he, he misses it. He's about to fall in, and the hairy mammoth dives in, picks him up, throws him to safety. And the tiger is utterly amazed, going, wow. Take a look at this scene. Why did you do that? You could have died trying to save me. That's what you do in a herd. You look out for each other. Well, thanks. I don't know about you guys, but we are the weirdest herd I've ever seen. That's the line. We are the weirdest herd you've ever seen. And I reckon that phrase, the weirdest herd, one strange herd, it describes you, us, here tonight. The best phrase to describe God's church is that we are the weirdest herd you've ever seen. We are so different from each other, different ages, different stages, different backgrounds, uh, different socioeconomic backgrounds. Some are married, some are single, some are divorced, some are, are widowed. And we're gathered here in this place tonight and we've gathered as family. The weirdest family you've ever seen because we are so, so different. What's the one thing we have in common? What's the only thing we have in common? The Lord Jesus Christ. It's only because of Jesus that we've gathered together as family. It's only because of Jesus that you're here tonight with your brothers and sisters. We are the weirdest, strangest herd you've ever seen. I calculated that here at Church by the Bridge we have 32 different nationalities. We have every decade represented from the zeros right through to the 90s. 
We've been educated in different places. We have different cultures, different languages, different heights, different sizes, different color skins. But we're all family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's our theme for tonight. We are family. And way before Sister Sledge said that, the Bible said that first of all. We're family. How would, you, how would you finish this sentence? Church is. Church, what is church for you? Church is a building. Church is a time slot on a Sunday. Church is an institution. Church is too contemporary. Church is too traditional. What is church? I hope you can say, I pray you can say, church is my family. Church is my family. Let me quote from a member of this church. Church is my family who cared and supported me throughout my sickness. The meals, the prayers, the emails, the lifts to the hospital. David said, church is my family who loved me enough to challenge me and stop me from wandering away from Christ. I called Phil said, church is my family. I have no family here in Australia. But I met with an older man almost every week. He's been like a father to me. He's cared for me, he's mentored me, and he's loved me. Rosie said this, I wasn't a Christian when I started coming to this church. But watching the way that you cared for each other and loved each other made Jesus very attractive, and now I'm part of this family. See, church is not something that you come to, it's a family you belong to. Church is not something you come to, it's a family you belong to. Let's think about your earthly families. There are just two ways to belong to an earthly family. You're either born into the family or you're adopted into the family. That's the only two ways. You're born into a family by, by birth, by blood, or you're adopted in legally. And you know, God in his incredible wisdom does both of those things for us, doesn't he? But we are born into God's family. We're not born into God's family by our physical birth. We're born into God's family when we're born again. Remember Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. You must have your eyes open to who Jesus is. But the moment you believed in Jesus, the moment you were born again, you were born into God's family. But more than that, God adopts us. He gives us all the, the privileges and the, the blessings and the rights of being called children of God. Romans 8 verse 15, The Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him you cry, Abba, Father. That's the truth. You have a new father, a new family. Look at this verse in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. I'm writing you these instructions so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church, the living God, the, the pillar and foundation of the truth. We need to learn how to conduct ourselves as part of God's household, part of God's family. He's not talking about bricks and mortars there. He's talking about the people who make up the household. It's not a house, it's a home. God is our Father. Jesus is our, our brother. And we are brothers and sisters. And so we need to know each other and care for each other and do life together. 
Now, one of the most repeated words in the New Testament is the word brethren. It just means brothers and sisters. And as soon as you're born to God's family, you've got hundreds and thousands of brothers and sisters in Christ. And some are older than you, and some are younger than you. Some have been Christians for years. Some are new to the faith, but we need each other. The church is supposed to be this diverse family. You know, great-grandparents and grandparents and parents and kids and siblings and aunts and uncles and cousins. And every family's got that weird, quirky Uncle Bob. And every church has got that weird, quirky Uncle Bob. And if you don't know who that is, it's probably you. But we're supposed to be diverse, you know. That's one of the problems I have about these homogeneous churches. You know, this is youth church. This is single church. This is marriage church. That is rubbish. Church is intergenerational. It is family that does life together. I was at a funeral recently of an old man who'd had a huge impact on so many people. And the church was packed with young people. And over tea, someone said to me, oh, there's so many young people. It's so nice to see them as an old person's funeral. And I said to them, that's because this old person has such an impact on so many younger people because that's what church is about. Now, I don't know what your family is like, whether it's clo- your earthly family, whether it's close or whether it's dysfunctional, but whether it's close or dysfunctional, you've got a, a family here in God's house, your church family, where we're supposed to love each other. So what does it mean to be family? That's what we're talking about tonight. And I think Manfred, the the mammoth, summed it up perfectly. He said this. That's what you do when you're part of a herd. You look after each other. You look after each other. That's what it means to be family. I've got two memory verses for you tonight. My two points are two verses from Romans 12. Here's the first one. Be devoted to one another in love. Romans 12 verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. If you're part of this church family, we are commanded, we are called to be devoted to other people in love. That word devoted, it means to be committed. It means to be constant. It means to have a deep relationship with them. Like a man who's devoted to his pet dog, who cares, who is constant, who's committed. And that word in love, it's, it's the, the, the brotherly, sisterly love. It's the tender, warm, affectionate love, the always there for you kind of love. Verse 9, love must be sincere, uh, not calculated, not cold, not fake. This genuine, personal, brotherly love. We're just called to love each other. And to love each other well. In the New Testament, there are 59 what I call the one another verses. You know, pray for one another, carry each other's burdens. And about 20 of those verses, a third of those one another verses say the same thing. And they just say, love one another. Love one another. Here's a few. John 13. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. John 15 verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. 
Romans 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Have you got it? Even if you don't particularly like each other, you're called to love each other. Ed Clowney said this, Christians in community, in church, must show the world not just family values, but the bond of the love of Christ that unites them. The way that we love each other will show the world we belong to Jesus. I find John 13 very confronting. He says, as I have loved you, as I loved you, says Jesus, you must love one another. How did Jesus love us? He loved us sacrificially. He loved us extravagantly. He loved us indiscriminately. He loved us humbly. He put our knees above his own knees and he sacrificed himself in love for us. And we are called to do that for other people. If this is your family, if these are your brothers and sisters, we are called to be devoted to each other in that selfless, humble, indiscriminate, extravagant love for each other. Let's think how we do that. Two words. By caring and by sharing. And they're not just touchy-feely words. We're called to care for each other and to share with one another. You ever seen a, a parent who cares for their child and, and thinks about their needs and meets their needs? That's what we're called to do. We're responsible to care for each other. Galatians 6 verse 2 is a brilliant verse. Carry one another burdens. And the picture there is that as a, a, a child of God, there are moments in your life where you are so weighed down and you are burdened and it's too heavy for you to carry by yourself. But when your family gather around you and together they carry that burden with you and you do life together and they're sharing that burden with you, they lighten the load. That's what we're called to do. So if someone here tonight is in need and you're their brother or sister, it's your responsibility and my responsibility. Pick up the phone. Pop around. Sit. Listen, care, support. It's not about getting rosters together. It's about that genuine, sincere family love that just cares well. One of the best books I've read on pastoral care is entitled, Just Turn Up. It's a great phrase. Just turn up and sit and be there and be present. We're called to care for each other's spiritual needs, I mean, because we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we need to make sure that we're still in Christ and growing in Jesus. And so that tender love where you get alongside your brothers and sisters and you encourage them and you spur them on in Jesus. Or the tough love where you say, actually, you're wandering, you're compromising, come back to Christ. See, caring is not just a touchy-feely word, it's that deliberate action where you get alongside someone and you share life with them and you open the Bible with them and you, you pray with them and you encourage them. And we're called to share. See that in verse 13? Share with the Lord's people who are in need. What he's saying there is that in the church family there's always people in need. There's material needs, there's physical needs, there's emotional needs, there is spiritual needs, and we're called to share with those people. 
Someone said this, uh, uh, when you share a joy, it's doubled. And when you share a problem, it cuts that problem in half. And that's what it means to be family, to share our joys and to share our burdens. To share everything pleasant and everything painful. It's what verse 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Those seasons of life where you are mourning and you are grieving and you are hurting and you're in pain. And we as a church family, we gather around you and we mourn together and we grieve together and we feel each other's pain. And there's moments of delight and celebration where we do it together as a church. I love this quote, love never stands aloof from other people's joys or pains. As family, we sing with them and we suffer with them. And we enter deeply into their experience and their emotions. We laugh together and we, and we cry together. Because that's what families do. When I arrived in Sydney, what is it, 16 years ago? Single man, no family here at all. And you were my family. Church was my family. There was a period about 13 years ago where there were very, very dark days and I would stand in the shower just sobbing. And my church family gathered around and they sat with me and they cried with me and they prayed with me and they provided for me. It was a day eight, eight and a half years ago when I got married to Rach and you were my family. And Rachel had her family over in Northmead, her church family, and rather than sitting down going, oh, what 120 people should we invite to our wedding? We're like, this is family. Invite them all. And so we did. 800 people locked up in the park, and we had a big party to celebrate together as family. And you know the day when Nathaniel was born, and he was in NICU, and it was awful? And you guys were the ones who were there to, to, to cry with me and support me, because we're family. So how do you do this? How do you develop this kind of deep-seated affection for each other? Well, stop being so wrapped up in yourself. Otherwise, you have no space to rejoice with other people. Make time for people. Make yourself vulnerable. Share your highs, share your lows with others. And don't be afraid to get emotional. That's what families do. But we are called to share materially. Do you see that in verse 13? Share with the Lord's people who are in need. There are material needs of people here tonight that we can meet by sharing. Acts chapter 2 describes the, the early church, the early Christians. And I know this, these verses are descriptive, not prescriptive. We don't have to do this. But it describes what they did do. And what did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Koinonia. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. There were people in their church in need and they could meet those needs and so they gladly and willingly did that. Need a car? I've got my spare car. Take it for a month. You need a, a, a bed for a few nights? Come and live with us. You need 
a job? Well, I know people who might be able to get you a job, or I can pay you to come and do some work at my house. You need friends? Let's go and have a drink together, and let's sit and listen to each other, shall we? See, the church is a family are called to put our possessions to good use, to meet the needs of people in need. I find the letter of James very confronting, the whole letter. But James chapter 2 is particularly confronting. It says this, James 2 verse 15, Suppose a brother or sister, that is part of your church family, suppose one of your church members is without clothes and without daily food. They're hungry and they're without clothes. Now if one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is that? What good is that? It's no good, is it? See, as family members, we are called to meet the needs of other people. It starts here in church. I want to say thank you, church, for the way you did this a few months ago. Remember a few months ago, I stood up here and I talked about Reza, who is Mahia's father, who had just passed away. He'd just come to faith. He was a Muslim convert. But this family have serious, serious financial problems, and funerals in Australia are very expensive. And I stood up here and I said, I'm just putting it out there. That's all I said. And do you know that we as a church paid for that whole funeral? I don't know who gave, but we gave. That's amazing. Uh, a couple I know moved to uh, the UK about 10 years ago. They visited a church on the first Sunday they were in London. On the Monday, they got a phone call from someone at church. On the Tuesday, someone came around with a meal. And then by the end of the week, someone had given some clothes for their baby and helped them set up bank accounts in the UK. And you won't be surprised to hear they joined that church and are still part of that church because that was family to them. So it starts here in church. Galatians 6 verse 10 says, do good, especially to the family of God. If you are here in need tonight, make your needs known so we as a church family can provide for you. But it goes beyond the local church. He says, share with the Lord's people, verse 13. And the Lord's people are everywhere. They are here in Australia. They're around the world and there are thousands and Millions of Christians in need. So what can we do here in Kiribati to meet the needs of other, uh, other Christians around the world today? But sharing is not just about giving, is it? Verse 13, look at that. Those last two words, practice hospitality, or literally pursue hospitality. That word hospitality is love of the stranger. Pursue the love of the stranger, he says. So in the early church, hotels were few and far between. It was dangerous and they were expensive. And so what the church were known for is, is, is providing accommodation for a visiting Christian. If you were coming to town, someone just put you up. But it seems like today our, our homes, our houses have become these, these private possessions, these personal palaces. And so before we invite anybody to our home, we need to make sure, A, it's spotless, and, and B, we've, we've done a checklist of who they are. And 
and see that the food is perfect on the table, and that is rubbish. A few years ago, I got an email from a Christian that I didn't know in the UK. As part of a, a distribution list to say this person, this, this guy called Xander, who was 19 year old, was coming to Sydney. He was a Christian, he was a keen Christian, and did I know of any, any cheap hotels he could stay at? And we're like, oh, the Dale House, that's a cheap ho- hotel, he can stay here for three nights. So he just rocked up and never met him before. And he was such a blessing to our family. Last year, Toby Sayer, he emailed, I didn't know him for a bar of soap. He stayed with us for six months. What a huge blessing he was to our church and to our family. Tom, who's here now, I've never met him before, rocked up on the door in January, stayed at our house for the last four months. What a blessing that is. He has enriched our lives as much as we've, we've provided for him. Can I urge you to pursue hospitality? Don't just invite friends around. Invite people you don't know. Invite People who are strange, who are weird, because we're all weird. Open up your home. And you know the difference, don't you, between a a, a dinner guest and a family member? A, A dinner guest are the people that you treat really politely and everything is perfect and there's no expectation. And a family member, you say, you're expected to do the dishes, they kick your feet off, uh, feet up, sit back, relax, you're part of the family. That's what we're called to be as church. And we can never, ever do that if we just see each other for this hour and a half on a Sunday. And we can never do that unless we hang out together. And we can never do that if we don't actually share with each other. C.S. Lewis heard someone complaining one day. And the complaint was this. I don't feel love for that person. And C.S. Lewis said this. Well, if you did love them, what would you do for them? Now, go and do that thing anyway. And I love that. He's saying, if you did love that person, what would you do? Well, go and do it anyway, because love is not about a feeling. Love is actually about an action that is called of us if we're part of God's church. So, friends, be, be devoted to one another in love. And then secondly, and more briefly, verse 16, live in harmony with one another. If we're family, we we love each other and we live in harmony. We, We reconcile our differences. We resolve our conflicts. We live in peace with each other. Verse 18. A few weeks ago, I met a family that were preparing for a funeral of their father. And I met them in this, in this house and these four kids arrived the kids of the deceased. And it was really, really clear there was some kind of dysfunctionality happening here. And it turned out that these four kids hadn't spoken for years. There was hurts, there was factions, they were fighting over money, they were fighting over who was a favorite child, there was letdowns, there was grudges. It was so awkward. I was like, I can't hold this funeral until there's some kind of reconciliation here. You know, church can be like that. Hurting, fighting, factions, miscommunication. And we can't just say, well, just get over it. The Bible doesn't say get over it. The Bible says live in harmony. Actively pursue peace. 
actively pursue reconciliation. Sort out your differences, it says. And if a third of the one of the verses are about love, the other third are about unity. Here's a few of them. Mark chapter 9, be at peace with one another. John chapter 6, don't grumble among one another. Galatians chapter 5, I love this translation, don't bite, devour or consume one another. Ephesians 4, be kind and forgive one another. And 1 Thessalonians 5, seek good for one another and don't repay evil for evil. So we are united in Christ. We are brothers and sisters. We are family. We need to maintain that unity. We need to make every effort to be that loving, united, peaceful family. So let me ask you, how do you respond to the person who's hurt you? How do you relate to your family member here in Kiribati, at this church, who has offended you or disappointed you or wronged you? What do you do? Do you practice verse 14? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do you practice verse 17? Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Don't do payback. Don't get revenge. Be careful to do what is right. Do the right thing. Do what is good in the eyes of everyone. Do you live out verse 18 if it's possible? Because sometimes it's not. But as far as it depends on you, have you made every effort to be reconciled? Have you done everything you possibly can to resolve that conflict? If it's possible, live at peace with everybody. And if it's not verse 19, well, don't retaliate, don't take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath because God sees and God knows. How about verse 21? Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't retaliate, don't seek revenge, don't gossip, don't slander, don't badmouth them. I do find it sad how often churches can be a bit like a school play yard. They just bickering and grudges and superficial niceness and catty comments and the passive-aggressive. And Jesus said, pray and forgive. Pray and forgive. But Paul, I've tried that again and again and again. How do I continue to love this person? Well, verse 19, leave room for God's wrath. Let God sort it out. So please, church, get rid of grudges, get rid of gossip, get rid of criticism, and live in harmony. So two simple verses. Be devoted to one another in love and live in harmony. Why? Because we're family. And we are one strange family. We're one weird herd. I'd love this church to be known... Not for its slick services or not for the most extraordinary music or great preaching, but just love. That we really, really love each other well. What did Jesus say? Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, by your love for each other, all people will know that you're my disciples. Not by our theology courses or our evangelism tracks, but if you love one another, people will say, wow, those people are followers of Jesus Christ. So I love you guys as my family. I'm thankful for you. Let's be family. Let me pray. Father, thank you for family.
Thank you, Father, that you do love us with that humble, sacrificial love. Lord, help us to be family. Help us to love each other and to live in harmony with each other. Amen.